Amen. Uh, in case you have never met me, I am of no consequence, but my name is uh, Ted Branshaw, and my wife Vicki and I have been married together for 38 years. We have seven grandchildren, six, on, six and one on the way. And uh, we've been in ministry most of our lives and uh, a lot of international ministry. And we are current, we pastored out in Iowa for 17 years and right now we're um, operating Northern Michigan Christian Counseling. So uh, one of my boys asked me, Dad, how do you like just counseling? And I said, it's kind of like pastoring only without the fun stuff. Because you get a chance to hear from a lot of different people. Um, from a lot of different backgrounds. And I ask people regularly, what is a Christian? Why would I want to be one? Because I, I don't know. When people come to my house, I don't know what they know. Sometimes I'll, I'll make the mistake of assuming they know more than what they do know. And they look at me like a deer in the headlights, and sometimes I catch it, and most of the time my wife catches it, and she'll say, that person did not have a clue about what you were talking about. Um... So we, that, that's who we are and, and what we do. For the most part, I teach on the ministry of the helper. I'll be in uh, Rogers City next Sunday, and uh, we'll be preaching on that up there. But I, I'm not going to do that here this morning. I, I have some things that God has placed on my heart that I think need to be said. They need to be done. I, uh, my attention was drawn to one of the scriptures outside there that says uh, uh, many are those that will say in that day, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And nobody thinks that's, that, that's them. That's, that's not me. No, nobody thinks that when they stand before God, that he's going to say, I never knew you. Uh, I, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to have a life that is so caught up in doing that I miss being a son of the Most High God. I, I, don't, I don't want that. And so I check my heart. Uh, if you look at that scripture... Many are those that say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me. He calls them workers of iniquity. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a, a key there that a lot of times we miss because these were people who cast out devils in Jesus' name, did miracles in Jesus' name, prophesied in Jesus' name. And if we heard that was going on at a local church, you know, miracles, prophecy, casting out of devils, great demonstrations of the Lord. If we heard of that going on, we'd say, man, I got to go to that meeting because God is really moving. The truth is, that's not even proof that God is there. Because Jesus told those people, depart from me, I never knew you. And then he said this, you workers of iniquity. You know what that tells me? that what they did on Sunday morning and what they lived the rest of the week did not flow together. Your words, your praises come from your lips to me, says the Lord, but your heart is far from me. So see, I, I don't want to be that guy. And I would say of the... I, I don't know how many people we've met with, but I would say most of the people 
that we have met with um, are not Christians. I don't think that they were Christians when they came in. I had a woman call me the other day and said, do you, you do couples counseling? And I said, sure. And she said, well, my boyfriend and I are having trouble. And we talked about getting some counseling. Uh, I have a child um, from a first relationship and he and I had a child, and we're struggling right now, and would you consider counseling us? I said, you understand this is Christian counseling, right? And she said, oh yeah, that's what we want. I said, do you attend a church someplace? Well, we do when we can. And this is an extreme example. We do when we can. And uh, um, I said, you know that if you come and see me, we're going to use the Bible as our final authority. So the concept of marriage is definitely going to show up. Do you understand that? Oh, yeah, I want to get married. I want to get married. He's nervous about it because he got divorced before. I said, okay, go to this website, fill out the paperwork, and if you still want to have us counsel, then come on. I say, what would you do with a person like that? I would try to lead them to Jesus. I, I told my wife, everybody deserves to hear the gospel. And so I would do my best to share Christ with them. But here is a, a woman who says, I'm okay because I go to church. And some people will say, I'm okay because I go to that church or because I believe this thing or I prayed that prayer. And so I'm okay. And, and I don't want to be surprised at the coming of the Lord. I don't want you to be surprised at the coming of the Lord. I, I, I want to live my life in a way that is pleasing to God. I want to live my life according to God's plan. And God had a plan and he has a plan. But most most people I talk to, and I'm, I'm not, not going to include you. You include you if you need to. But most people that I talk to have no idea of what that plan is. And, and that's just been my experience. And we've even come to understand some things. Anyway, I, I'm not probably not going to tell you anything that you don't know. But I'm going to help you to, to focus in on some things this morning. I'm going to answer three questions. Number one, why am I here? Do you ever wonder that? I remember as a teenager saying, I don't know why I was even born. You know, maybe all of us have had that question. I, I want to know what is my purpose? What's my purpose? And it's more than being a greeter or the guy that passes the bucket. What is my purpose? I can tell you exactly what it is, and hopefully I will. And how do I live? What should, what should govern my life? See, and, and we should have answers for this. We should be able to give answers for this, and we should be able to live this. And I don't want you to assume that you know the answers to these questions because you've been going to this church for five years or ten years. Don't, assu don't assume God's ways are higher than our ways. You know, there's some things the Bible says that are not hidden from us, but they're hidden for us for a specific time. I believe that God is preparing his bride right now. I believe that, that God is 
ordering our steps to bring us into this place where we have a greater revelation of who he is and why we are. These times that we live in right now are, are unlike any times that have ever been experienced in our nation and in the world. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that these are the last days. I, I saw something on the other line, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, which I'm not. I saw something the other day. Somebody's calling for the end of the world on September 23rd. That gives us just six days. And they have good reason to, you know, they'll show you chapter and verse. But, but all the more, you say, well, I don't think he's coming then. I know exactly when he's coming. I can tell you. You want me to tell you when the Lord's coming? And Pastor Mike can fix this next week. I can tell you exactly when he's coming. On a day you think not. That's when he's coming. You live in your life today like he could be here before the end of the service? Oh, no, I, we've been waiting 2,000 years. Yeah, that just means we're a day or so closer. But he'll come on a day that you think not. Do you live in expectation? Are you paying attention to what go, is going on around you? You know that as a country, we're $20 trillion in debt. Something's going to bust here, and it's going to bust pretty soon. I, I looked up the other day. I thought, I wonder how many wars we're fighting right now as a nation. I was shocked to see that this year, the U.S. Special Operations, Special Op Forces, have been deployed to 135 nations. Do you know the Bible says in the last days there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We're in 135 nations. That should rattle your chain a bit. We've got North Korea threatening to turn us into dust. Somebody's going to get hurt. Whether it's us or them, nation will rise against nation. That's a last day's marker. We should be paying attention. We should be looking to the hills from where comes our help. We should be saying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, the Bible says that in the last days that the earth is going to heave like a woman in childbirth. Did anybody notice we just had two Category 4 earthquakes? Or not earthquakes, hurricanes? And the estimates that I've seen so far are each of those hurricanes are going to cost as a nation close to a trillion dollars? We say, well, we live in northern Michigan. No hurricanes here. That won't affect us. Hey, well, I'll tell you, eventually it will because we're going to feel it in the price that we pay for fruit and for beef and for grain and for gas. We're continually under the threat of, of terrorism. You say, well, that doesn't affect us. We're in northern Michigan. Did anybody notice they closed the Mackinac Bridge on Labor Day? Do you know why they closed it on Labor Day? Because they thought somebody would, may come along and say, look, let's make a mark. Look at all these people. So terrorism doesn't affect you in northern Michigan? I think absolutely it does. Here, here's a, here's a, 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 this was mind-blowing for me. Michigan ranks number two for human trafficking of the sex trade. 
Michigan does. Only behind Nevada, where prostitution is legal, by the way. Michigan. This weird weather that we have. The Bible says there'll be signs in the heavens. Do we just have an eclipse take place? Anybody hear about the blood moons that all just happened to happen on Jewish holidays? So see, all of these things, to me, you know, I, I believe... I know the Lord, and the Lord knows me. But I'm telling you, this stuff scares the bejeebies out of me. I, I just, I am not. I don't, I don't like it. And our pastor, who's 75 years old, when, we, when he and I talk about it, he goes, Ted, these are exciting times. I say, Arnie, stop saying that. But these are times that in my mind, I would consider perilous times, dangerous times, at least in my eyes. But what does God call perilous times? What, what, when, when he describes perilous times, what, what does he say? Well, in 2 Timothy 3, which by the word, by the way, 2 Timothy was written to the church... And although what he says to the church can be seen in the world, it's also to us and it's about us. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5, and I'm only going to read a couple. But know this, that in the last days, that would be now, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of their own selves. That's what God calls perilous times. And do you know why God calls it perilous times? Because men with a focus on self is 180 degrees opposite of God's plan, intention, and purpose for humanity. And you could go through the whole list on 2 Timothy 3 and you'll see that the foundation for each of the things mentioned is self. Lovers of money. For who? For me. Boasters of what? My accomplishments. Proud. Yeah. I did it. Me. Blasphemers. Now, God, if I was God, I would do it different. All of those things come back to a focus on self. And, and I'm not pointing any fingers because you and I all suffer from the exact same disease. It's called self. Every issue, every family, every workplace among friends, and even in the church, if there is some sort of friction, if there is some sort of issue between people, it's going to boil down to self. Somebody didn't get their way. Somebody had a better idea. The uh, superintendent for the Assemblies of God in Iowa told me one time, he said, Ted, the issue is never the issue. Control is. The issue is never the issue. Control is. I didn't get my way. Again, we're coming back to self. And, and I, I'm, I'm guilty. Everybody that I counsel, every, I, I tell them, you have the same disease I have. I have the same disease you have. It's self. We're born with it. We're born with this nature. And when we go through Walmart and I hear a kid scream and two-year-old about four aisles down, 
I look at Vicki and I go, there is further proof that we need a Savior. Right there. In that two-year-old. Because nobody had to teach that two-year-old to demand its own way. Nobody has to teach a baby to lie, to, to covet, I want that, to take things that don't belong to them. We come by that by nature. Self. We are selfish, self-centered, self-consumed, self-obsessed, single-minded about our own self-interest. And Paul was not talking to, to Timothy about somebody else. He was talking about me. That's me. I'm that guy. I'm what matters. I'm important. I want it my way. And most of the preaching and the teaching in churches today plays exactly to that. We had a, a woman recently who said, uh, well, I, wanna, uh, I, I don't want to know these basic things. These truths, these foundations, she didn't say it like this. I don't want these foundations of Christianity. I want what this teacher, this big shot teacher, preacher on the radio with a gazillion dollar home. I want, I, that, that ministers to me. You know what ministers to me? When Vicki does this to my hair. That, that ministers to me. I, I like that. It ministers to my flesh. Well, I, I feel like God wants this. What, what, what do you know what God wants? What, what's happening is we're chasing felt needs. We're, we're deciding what we need. What we need is the Word of God. What we need is the truth. Even when the truth is uncomfortable, we need the truth. These are perilous times because the center of our world is us. And that's totally opposite of what God intended. We are consumed with concern about things that have no eternal value whatsoever. We are consumed with those. I'm consumed with those. I have to fight those. I was telling one of the brothers before service, I, I've been to the other side of the world almost 20 times, and I've been to this side a whole bunch of times. If I had all the money I spent on those trips, I, I would be a fairly wealthy guy. I, I would be a fairly wealthy guy. And I said, the worst part, the hardest part about doing this is the money part. Because everybody's consumed, including me, with being prepared for a tomorrow that may never come. All the while, people are going to hell because they're not hearing the gospel. And I don't even shed a tear about that many days. I did the other day for the first time in a long time. I've been to India nine times. Do you know there's 1.2 or 3 billion people in India? 3% of those are Christians. That means 1,169,000,000 people are without the gospel, and if not without the gospel, without Christ. What does that do to you? What does, what does that do to me? Do I care more about how my retirement is going to go? 
we, we've been talking about this. Vicki and I have some great conversations. I said, I'm 58 years old. It is not unusual to read in the obituaries, a 58-year-old guy died. Whoa, he was kind of young, but well, he was 58. I said, that, that means that everything I have, everything that I identify with or uh, that identifies me, now belongs to somebody else. And I stand before God naked. And to a large part guilty of laying up treasure here on earth where moth and rust corrupt and destroy. And not laying up treasure in heaven. I feel like I have, but to the degree that I could, if I was all in, like most of the time I think I am. We have bought into this lie that what happens in this life is about me and about my happiness. For the Christian, our happiness is what God has for us. And, and the reality of what God has for us might surprise you. But we want to go to churches and we want to hear messages about how God loves you and how He wants you to be happy, how He wants to meet your needs what Christ did for me. And we become the center of the world. At least in our minds. But this life is not about God making much of us. Like he's some sort of a vending machine in the sky that if we push the right button and say the right prayer and kneel the right way, that we're going to get our way. No, God is God, and God's going to get His way. And this, including us, this whole world, this is not about us. Rather, we should be making much of God. Well, what is this about? This is about the One who is eternally, consistently, on the scene from Genesis 1-1 through the end of the book of Revelation. We have this small supporting role right here in the middle someplace. The Bible says our lives are but a vapor. Here for a moment and then gone. We all nod our heads and we all know that and we all believe that, but we don't live that. We make it about us. Our demands, our wants, our needs. I heard a preacher one time use an example. He said, the, the way we make it all about us is like somebody who's an extra in a movie. And for three quarters of a second, the backside of their head is seen on the screen. And they run around and tell all their friends, hey, they made a movie about me. There's a movie about me. Hey, come and see the movie. It's about me. I'm in there. Yeah, it's about me. But you got three quarters of a second of a headshot. I, I, I wonder how long it's going to take for people to forget me when I'm gone. Do you remember your grandparents' full names? Do you know their parents' names? Middle names, birth dates, favorite dish, what they accomplished, what they did, what their work was? What about your great-grandparents? How long is it going to be? See, I'm not that important. I'm not that important. This is not about me. 
It can't be. If it is, what a, what a terrible waste. Our lives are like this. They stretch from here to here. But God is eternal. He goes from way over there to way over there, and you can't see the end of it. So who is this life about? It's not about us. So then we have to ask the question. Somewhere you have to ask the question, what, what is this all about? Why am I here? Why, why, why is this here? Why are the leaves turning red today? Why is this snow about to fly? Why has the weather been so weird? We have to ask the question, what is this about? And to answer this question of why I'm here, you have to look at the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God. But we could back up. If you could back up one step from Genesis 1.1, you'd see this place that says, in the beginning, well, in the beginning, God, we could step one section to the left, and it'll say, before the beginning began. God was already there. And God began the beginning. Do you know, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need this world. God has existed forever, eternally. And I hate to even say that, because that somehow implies time. And God is outside of time. God didn't create man because he was lonely. He's the original small group, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There was a time when there was no heaven where his glory is now manifested. Do you know the glory of God is manifested right now in heaven? But there was a time that that didn't exist because heaven didn't exist. There was no earth to engage his intention, attention. There were no angels to praise him. No universe to be upheld by the word of his power. Nothing, no one but God. Not for a day, for a year, but from everlasting. God is self-contained, self-sufficient, self satisfied okay then smarty pants why did God create because he's God and he can do what he wants and God as a act of his own will determined to make his glory known and the Bible points to that all the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation that everything here is about God's glory. I, I looked up yesterday, I just, I just in the topical Bible just went, glorifying God. There were over a hundred scriptures about glorifying God. Including things like, all things were and are created for Him and by Him. To what end? Why? Why were they created for Him and by Him? You created all things. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. God simply determined to make His glory known. He did that. All creation is about Him. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the firmament His handiwork. Day, under, utters, uh, ut day unto day utters speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. Last night, I got up in the middle of the night. I've been having some back issues, and I got up to get an ice pack. And I just stepped outside, and I looked up into the sky. It was like there was a light on where I live. 
only a little sliver of a moon, but I don't ever think I've seen another night where the, shi- the, the suns, the, or the, the stars, showed so brightly as they did at 3 o'clock this morning. The heavens were declaring the glory of the Lord. The heavens were saying, look, these these natural eyes that we have are meant to say to the spiritual eyes, not this, but the maker of this. Not this, but the maker of this. I I talk to people who say, well, I I don't need to go to church because I feel so close to the Lord on the river. You know what? I do not doubt that for a second. You do feel close to the Lord on the river. You know why? Because of this scripture right here, Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, the firmament, His handiwork, day unto day utter speech. Those trees, that stream, that bass is speaking and it is testifying to the glory of the Lord. And night unto night it shows knowledge. We were created, the heavens were created for the glory of the Lord. Everything is about God. God simply said, I want to reveal my glory. I want to demonstrate my glory. And so he did. He did. And for five days after he set something called time in motion, for five days, he simply said, let there be. I can't, that blows my mind. How powerful is the word of God? And how much is contained in let there be in the mind of God? His intention for every color feathered bird, every mammal of every shape and every size, simply with the words, let there be. And at the end of every one of those five days, God said, this is good. This is good. Why? Because it was declaring the glory of the Lord. But then the sixth day, God did not create. You say, well, didn't man come that day? Yes, he did, but God did not create. The Bible says he formed. It's a totally different word. I used to tell my kids, God got down in his sandbox and he formed man out of the dust of the earth. That, 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 that most worthless of all elements, the dust of the earth. Everybody owns a vacuum. Everybody owns a broom. Everybody says, take your shoes off. Why? Because we don't want this filth and dirt in our house. But God took filth and dirt and he gave it value. How? He breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living being. Is that awesome or what? That, 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 is that awesome or What? Man is unique in three different ways. Number one, I know as a man that I exist. Dogs don't know they exist. Cats don't know they exist. You can take a cat and put it in front of a mirror. Kitten will hiss at itself. There's no personal awareness in sheep and cows. There's no personal awareness. So I'm different from everything God created when He formed me and breathed into me because I know I exist. Number two, what makes me different is I know God exists. Not just me, but every person that God ever created knows that God exists. Because the book of Ecclesiastes tells us That God has set into the heart of man a sense of eternity. So you got somebody who says, I'm an atheist? They are flat out self-deluded or straight up lying to you. Because within the heart of every man 
is a sense of eternity. That's why you can watch a program about some tribe they discovered in the Amazon jungle that had never been influenced by anybody else and they're worshiping a toad. Why are they worshiping anything? Because they have in them a sense of eternity, a knowledge that there's more out there. And number three, I can ascribe glory to God. Cats can't do that. Dogs can't do that. Last night on my front porch when I looked at the stars, I could go, whoa, God, that is so cool. And I told my wife at 2.30 or 3 o'clock, I almost came in and woke you up to take you outside and show you that. She said, I'm so glad you didn't. (laughs) I said, that's why I didn't. I was afraid you wouldn't get back to sleep. And when God created man, at the end of that day, the Bible says he stood back and said, this is very good. Now remember, all of this exists for the glory of God. Man was the ultimate demonstration of God's glory. How do you know that? Because he was in God's image and in his likeness. Those two words are so close together. And I've questioned why use both those words. But both of those words in Bible interpretation... uh, when two words, two terms that are so close are used together, it's just the Holy Spirit's way of saying, don't miss this. This is important. Image and likeness. It's like when you read the Psalms and it says, the Lord is beautiful. Beautiful is the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, pay attention. This is important. So man was created to display the glory of God and to live in God's presence. That's where we were created for. Do you know that what God does the first time is what God wants all the time? It's called the law of first beginnings. Anybody wants to talk to you about homosexual marriage? You don't have to go any farther than the book of Genesis. God brought woman to the man. The two were one flesh. Law of first beginnings. What God wanted then is what God wants now. God wanted man to glorify him then. God wants us to glorify him now. Man existed as a a demonstration of God's glory. That's why man was created. But man lost that because the sin of man separated us from God. But what God wanted the first time is what He still wants. That's what He still wants. And He promised Adam and Eve when he spoke to the serpent and he said I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and one day he's going to crush your head and you're going to strike his heel and I'll tell you you can recover from a, a, a bruised heel but you don't recover from a crushed head that was the first promise that I'm not going to leave you in this place because God had to drive Adam out of the garden out of his presence. We preach the good news, but mostly we don't understand the good news. Most of the people, when I ask them, can can you tell me uh, what, what a Christian is? And they'll say things like, personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, could you explain to me what that means every day? Oh, I'm not really sure. Well, it means that you get, you get to go to heaven. It means Christ died for my sins. That, that's glorious. But that's not the good news. Oh, Christ died that I might be justified or counted righteous before a holy God. That's glorious. 
that's not the good news either. Christ died that God's wrath might be removed. And that's glorious. But that's still not the ultimate goal of the gospel. Christ died that I might not go to hell. And that is really good news. But that's not the ultimate goal of the gospel. 1 Peter 3.18 expresses the ultimate goal. It says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That He might bring us to God. Adam enjoyed the presence of God. Can you imagine? No sin, no shame, no sickness. He didn't even have a word for those things. The Bible says that in His presence is fullness of joy. I don't believe there was ever a day that God wrapped His arm around Adam while they were walking in the cool of garden and said, Adam, you know what? Sometime, someday, I'm going to take you to this really cool place called heaven. You're really going to like it there. If I was Adam, I would say, God, why? Why would you take me there? You're the I am. You're all I need. See, the ultimate goal is not heaven. It's God. It's being united to God. It's being one with God. That's the goal of the gospel, is to unite us with God. If I got up this morning, I got up a little earlier. It took me two hours to get here this morning. I got up this morning, it was dark, and usually the first thing I do is go out and let the chickens out. So if I stumbled out into the living room on my way to the back door, and I tripped and kicked the vacuum cleaner and turned around and said, Vicki, I thought I told you to put the vacuum cleaner away. Well, that wouldn't be very nice, would it? But if I did do that, what do you think I should do next? Probably apologize. You think that'd be a good course? And why, hopefully she'd forgive me, but why do I want to be forgiven? So that she'll get up and fix me a nice breakfast before we go? That she'll make sure my shirt is ironed? That she might give me a little smooch later on in the day? That I would have socks in my drawer? No, the reason I want to be forgiven is I want Vicki. I want a relationship with her. I want that to remain unbroken. Why do we want to be forgiven of our sins? Because that's what we do. We cry out, oh God, thank you, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. What does that mean? What is the end of that? See, if we don't get to God through forgiveness and justification and Jesus paying the price for my sins, through escape from hell or removal of wrath, if we don't get to God and treasure Him and love Him and possess Him and He is everything to us, then it hasn't happened. Salvation has not happened. God is the good news. Let, let, let me break it down like this for you. Because this made a lot of sense to me. I, I have to see things in pictures. And, and I, it's, I think God just went, hey, this guy's so simple, if I don't show him a drawing, he ain't going to get it. But do you know that when God created fish, do you know where he put them? I didn't see any fish between that your door and my car this morning. There's not a, not a one in the grass. I even looked. How come there's no fish out there on your front lawn? Because they weren't created for the front lawn. They were created to thrive and to flourish. Where? In water. So bad news for a fish is to take him out of the water. Because that's what he was created for, for that water. I like nature shows and documentaries. 
Do you know that when God created polar bears? I, I've looked. I haven't seen any around my house. You? I haven't seen any in Central America. Have you? No, because when God created polar bears, He put them in the Arctic. Why? Because they were created for that. That's where they would thrive and they would flourish. Bad news for a fish? Take him out of the water. Good news? Gospel? That's what good news means. Or gospel means. Put him back in the water. Bad news for a polar bear? Take him out of the Arctic. Gospel for a polar bear? Put him back. When God created man, where did he put man? If you say the Garden of Eden, you're partially correct, but you're wrong. You're partially correct, but you're totally wrong. The Garden of Eden is geography. Where did God put man? What was the place that he would thrive and flourish in? The presence of God. Bad news for a man is your sin has separated you from God. That's bad news. Good news is, 1 Peter 3.18, Jesus Christ died, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God, to put us back in the water, to put us back in the Arctic. However you want to look at it, that's why Christ died. And if He is not, to you, the pearl of great price. I mean, every one of the songs that we sang this morning, if you sing them from a me perspective, you miss. You miss the greatest part of the miracle. There is power, power, wonder, working power in the blood. And when we sing... That song, what we think about is how that power rescued me. What we don't think about is I don't deserve a drop of that blood. I'm a sinner. The only thing I deserve from God is His wrath. And He displayed His glory in that Christ died and shed His blood for me. God be glorified. Is that, is that awesome or what? See, we miss that. We, we miss that truth. It's not about us. It's, it's about Him. That's the good news. Unlearned means you just don't know. Ignorant in the original language is idiotes. What word do you think we get from that? When they saw that they were ignorant and without a clue. But yet their life was changed. They knew they'd been with Jesus. Glory to God. So why am I here for God's glory? What's my purpose? I live to show God's glory. How do I live? For His glory. That's, that's it. That's it. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it for the glory of the Lord. We should do what Jesus did, right? John 17, 4, I brought you glory on this earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. What did Jesus say? For your glory, Lord. And you know that when we meet with married couples, especially married couples, when we meet with them and we say, your life is about God's glory, it changes everything. We had a woman, she works for a, a homeless shelter. She came and met with us a couple, two, three, four times. And she said, I never saw this. Nobody ever taught me this. 
She said, it has changed the way I view everything in life. It's all for his glory. See, what we want, and this is what, this comes up, what we want is the bad stuff to stop. Make the bad stuff stop. Give me a checklist, make it stop. What if God is choosing to show his glory that when you're weak, he is strong? See, I probably would have messed up God's plan if I had been alive in the day of Joseph, you know, coat of many colors, Joseph. Because when his brothers threw him down that well, that wasn't right. I'd have tossed him a rope when they weren't looking. And when he was sold to those traders, I'd have outbid him. I'd have given everything I had because he was Abraham's favored son. I'd have given everything I had to get him away from those guys. When he was falsely accused, I'd have got him the best lawyer. But do you know what the brothers meant for evil? God meant for his glory in the saving of many people. And I could have messed up his plan had I not consulted him first. Are you with me? Why am I here for God's glory? How do I live for God's glory? What would God have me do? Glorify him. That's it. So when you walk outside and you see the beautiful colors, take a moment and say, hey God, you did that. That's way cool. I glorify you. Or you say to your neighbor, what would you see those colors? God did that. And you point to his glory. When people find out that Vicki and I have been married for 38 years and we look so young, they go, what, 38 years? I, I can't believe it. You have a son that's 37 years old? What? what? I say, listen, we wouldn't have been married 38 months had it not been Jesus Christ. Do you know marriage itself, according to Ephesians 5, 6, is supposed to be a living drama of Christ in the church? When people look at you with the, your marriage, they should go, man, what you got? I'm not sure what it is. What you got? Because there's something on the inside that God is tugging on. And you explain to him Christ in the church. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing to us your purpose for this world, for our lives. Thank you, Lord. It changes everything. Whatever you do, Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it for the glory of God. Jesus came and he died. Lord, I'm the recipient of that selfless act, but you're glorified in his death and resurrection. This was about your glory, wasn't it? Lord, when I do dumb things and I go to you and you forgive me, it's not so I can feel good about myself again. You forgive me for the sake of Christ, for your glory. Wow. Thank you. Lord, I pray that as these folks go through their day and the week, 
that they think about this glory. And they see it when they eat, drink, anything they do for your glory. And Lord, as they meditate on these things, let the grace of God, the presence of the Lord, fill them with thanksgiving, giving glory to the Lord. Because when they do it in your name, there you are. And in your presence is fullness of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody know who the Puritans were? Long time ago, Puritans. Yeah, okay, doesn't matter. The Puritans wrote something called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And they asked the question, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the purpose of man? Purpose of man? Glorify God. Ah, that's what I said. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do we enjoy Him? In His presence.